Hello and welcome to the Employment Talk, where we discuss the HR issues affecting you. We're here to keep you up to date with the latest employment law matters. I'm Glenn Hayes, Head of Employment Law at Irwin Mitchell. And I'm Jo Mosley, and I'm a support lawyer here. Today, we're going to talk about the legal issues you need to be aware of before suspending a member of staff. So, Jo, I understand that ACAS have recently updated its guidance on suspending employees. Can you explain what it says? Yeah, of course. Um, so it provides five basic points. The first is that you should conduct a, an initial inv investigation before you consider suspending anybody. Um, so you might need to find out a little bit about what happened, who was involved and how serious it might be so that you can then understand the situation and work out whether suspension is appropriate. It then talks about the impact of suspending someone and makes the point that, you know, suspending people can have very severe con consequences to their well-being. And there was a there've been a couple of cases that have also pointed that out. So there was a case involving a solicitor a couple of years ago who was suspended because of the way in which she dealt with a particular matter and she became seriously unwell and, and got what the doctor referred to as reactive stress and the doctor said that she really needed to go back to work in order to alleviate that stress um, and she eventually bought an injunction and was able to come back to work. And there was another case, I don't know if you remember this one, Glenn, this was a few years ago now, and it involved a couple of nurses who had been suspended because of allegations that they had tied up a dementia patient with a tablecloth to a chair. And although the issue of suspension wasn't in issue in the in the case, the Court of Appeal took the opportunity to talk about how psychologically damaging suspending someone can be and that it really ought to be the last resort. The guidance then goes into the circumstances in which you need to or you can suspend somebody. And it gives four broad categories. It says if you need to suspend somebody in order to conduct a safe investigation, so for example, where you're concerned that someone might damage evidence or influence witnesses, if you've got a business reason for doing so, so for example, there is a genuine risk to your customers, to your property or your business interests, I suppose in the, in the context of other fields such as education, it would be if you've got concerns about safeguarding, for example. And it also says that you might consider suspension where there is a need to protect other staff, presumably for the person that you, that's made the allegation against, and the person themselves that's under investigation. In terms of suspending, it says you shouldn't suspend unless there is no other option and it goes through some scenarios where there may be other choices open to you so for example you might be able to change someone's shifts you might be able to put them in a different part of your organization so they might be able to work from home for example or from a different office or site you could take some of their duties away from them um, it gives the example of someone handling stock um, if you're hand, if they're investigating a large amount of stock going missing and giving them other duties. Another example would be somebody on a till. Um, they're suspected of stealing from the till. You wouldn't necessarily need to suspend them if you've got other jobs that they could do, such as stacking shelves, that sort of thing. Um, the other um, 
things that they talk about is whether you should ask people to stop from using a specific system or a tool that they use or in the context of um, professional services, whether you can ask them to not provide advice on a particular area and concentrate on other areas. So there's lots of different options available to you. You then look at the support that's available to the employee. Um, and I think that's particularly important, although they don't say this, if the suspension is going to be for a longer period of a, of a week or two, because as we've looked at before, suspending someone can have very detrimental effects on people's well-being and it can also damage their reputation you know what do you tell other people if someone's been suspended obviously if you you know you point out that they have been suspended then people take the view that there's no smoke without fire and it can have permanent damage what ACAS say in response to that is that you should keep it confidential and decide amongst yourselves or between you know between you and the person that's being suspended what message you're going to send out to the wider group so it's quite short and sweet um, but it doesn't explain how you go about suspending someone whether you have to pay them or the legal risk of suspending an employee if you don't have reasonable grounds to do so. So Glenn, if we assume that an employer has gone through the guidance and decided that it's appropriate to dismiss someone, how should they go about doing it? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, well, I think in my view, it's better to do it face to face and in person if you can do, rather than uh, via Teams or uh, the, the telephone, albeit that, that that might be appropriate if if distance is is a factor. Um, I think you generally call somebody in and explain to them um, the issue. I think it's very important that you explain to them that suspension is not a disciplinary sanction of itself, and that a reason that a, an investigation is going to take place. Um, I think you should try and set some expectations on the timescales for that expectation. So, in some cases, it might be relatively quick. In others, it might be. Uh, a more lengthy investigation, for example, if you're looking through various records or having to speak to people or if it's peak holiday season, for example. So I think it's important that you explain to them what that involves. I think it's equally important that you explain to them what they're, what happens on suspension. So, you know, ultimately, you know, they may not be able to contact certain people within the organisation. It may be that they're not able to access certain systems. Uh, as per Joe's uh, message before, whether you can agree something that is more palatable to the employee in terms of a message to the employee. So, you know, um, Joe Mosley's been suspended. Uh, it, it will be one possible uh, pending investigation into whatever is one possible uh, message for the employer to take. But it may be that uh, a more palatable message would be, you know, Joe's taken some time off for uh, family reasons. And, and then again, you know, if Joe then comes back into the workforce and he's exonerated from um, whatever the misconduct uh, alleged is, then that might be uh, might be easier for her to do that. So, again, some dialogue with the employee in that respect would be useful, using my example of Joe. Um, I think it's really important to uh, explain to the individual what the allegation is quite often uh, where we see things end up in an employment tribunal is that you get one um, message as to why an individual is suspended and then as a result of a sort of inflated investigation you get sort of six or seven allegations at the end so I think it is important that you 
explain that you, you are investigating this particular issue when you're going to speak to various people uh, and then that might justify why the, the allegations then change or increase over time. So I think they're really the, the sort of key factors that, that an individual uh, manager will need to concentrate on. And it's always best, in my view, to then follow up with a letter, set out some guidance as to what access individuals can have to things like employee assistance programmes, as per Joe's wellbeing point earlier, um, so that the individual is not just left in the lurch. And ideally, um, agree a check-in mechanism for that individual throughout the uh, process to ensure that they're kept up to date with, with the process of the investigation itself. So what are the legal risks, Glenn, of suspending someone where you shouldn't have or where it's gone on for too long? Well, look, um, suspension is not a disciplinary sanction in itself. And I think the starting point for an employment tribunal is that um, in the face of a serious uh, investigation and in appropriate circumstances, the kinds of which Joe's outlined uh, earlier, that employers have got the right to suspend people. And generally speaking, it will be contained within your disciplinary policy anyway. Um, so realistically, I think providing that employer doesn't unnecessarily um, suspend somebody or doesn't, which can obviously cause a damage to their reputation um, or they don't prolong it unnecessarily, then I think um, tribunals are sympathetic to employers taking those steps to protect the business or protect their employees. Okay, I think tribunals would look at whether there are less onerous means than suspension, for example, um, to use Joe's uh, analogy before, taking somebody off the tills and putting them on stacking shelves, for example, might be a, a reasonable approach to take. Um, so there's no hard and fast rules on t in terms of time scale, but employers are expected to get on with it, basically. So, you know, if you need to speak to two or three witnesses and they're all available, you know, why you would need two or three months to do that will be beyond me. But if it's a lengthy matter, then Clearly, um, that can take some time. It might be that there are various people who are too ill to be spoken to. And again, I think this is where it's really important to keep the individual who is under a suspension uh, abreast of what is happening with the investigation, giving some setting some expectations as to the next steps and the timescales um, to avoid any anybody um, being uh, unduly uh, distressed by that. Because the real risk from a legal point of view, really, is somebody saying, well, actually, um, you've damaged my reputation. The way in which you've handled this is effectively a fundamental breach of contract that entitles me to resign. Okay, it may be that, for example, in cases where there's a grievance raised against the individual that's been investigated, that grievance might be malicious, which could be a disciplinary. So there are all these factors to take into account, but realistically, my advice will be to get on with it and to keep the individual updated. Brilliant. Thank you. So have you seen many cases where there's been where people have alleged well they've resigned effectively in response to being um, suspended and claimed constructive dismissal? Yeah, I think I think it's quite difficult in most cases for individuals to argue that that's the case. OK, unless it's a really lengthy period of time or there's something inherently wrong with it, because I think tribunals generally take the view. And I say generally because it is a generalisation that the employee has probably jumped the gun if the, it, by resigning in respect of an investigation because I go back to that starting point I made earlier that employers are entitled to reasonably investigate matters, particularly those of a serious nature, take steps to protect itself. So messaging with the, with the employee as to what can be said, you know, the obviously the longer somebody's out of the business, the more difficult it is for them to come back. So 
really, if you get on with it, then I think you can avoid a lot of the issues that arise. But in particular professions, I think it's particularly acute because the damage that individual have been out of the business. So you've mentioned education already. That's definitely one, you know, regulatory type professions like the one we're in, for example, the legal profession accountancy will be another. So I think realistically, there are these risks kicking around and I think you've got to get on with these things. It doesn't mean you've got to do a full blown investigation first, in my view, you've got to just get on with it and uh, act act with sort of reasonableness. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because the ACAS guidance sort of say that you need to take some initial information about what's happened. And there have been cases that have suggested that you need to conduct a sort of a pretty good investigation before making a decision. Would you agree with that? Do you think that you have to conduct a full-blown investigation first? Well, I think there has to be some substance to it in order to suspend somebody. So take, for example, an individual that's alleged to have made a racist remark and an individual goes off sick as a result of that. Then, you know, if that individual is working with other people of of, of a like race to that individual, then, you know, those that there might be enough within that one allegation itself and the fact that the individual's gone off in order to reach a decision to suspend before you have to go and speak to eight or nine, ten individuals or whatever it is. You know, I think in circumstances where the business is really at risk, so in the example of theft or, um, you know, fairly serious things or a health and safety breach where you can't have somebody realistically carrying out the activity because somebody could get killed, for example, then again, I don't think there needs to be that much in order to suspend to be able to then conduct that investigation. But I think the less you have, I think the more you'd be sort of expected to to sort of crack on with that investigation very quickly, realistically. Yeah, I think that's the conclusion that the Court of Appeal came to in that case involving a teacher a couple of years ago. I think the case is called Agorio against Lambeth. But that, do you remember that one? That was one. Involving- I, I do. I think the problem is that the, the, the rumour mill starts going around here and people will necessarily speculate on why an individual is no longer in the business. And I, I, I once dealt with a case for a teacher who'd been on suspension for probably nine nine months minimum. And he, what he was saying to me was, look, irrespective of whether he's right or whether he's dismissed or not as a result of this, Realistically, he can never go back to work in that school because he's bumping into parents in, you know, in his local community, and they're all saying to him, "We know what you've done," and mm. you know, people will automatically jump to the conclusion that that individual was guilty, mm. and rather than you know wait for the investigation to finish. And I think employers need to really recognise that there is an impact on that individual, and um, it's a bit like when somebody goes off sick. The longer they're off sick for, the harder it is generally to reintegrate them back into the business. So here, I think it's really important to to, to factor that in an investigation um, and a suspension um, considerations. Really, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. So in terms of pay, then, Glenn, do you have to pay somebody if you suspend them? Well, the short answer is yes, unless there's a contractual right to suspend without pay, which is quite rare. Um, but I think uh, employers generally have an obligation to pay their staff irrespective of uh, whether they're on suspension or not. And I think that, that, in short, it's a yes. Do you see many contracts that include clauses allowing employers to suspend without pay? No. No. <laughs> I, I must admit, I don't either. I just wondered if you'd come across any. No. Mm, okay. 
Well, before we finish, I just want to explore a little bit more about what you said about um, the sort of factors that you have to consider when you're suspending senior people or professional people that are subject to regulatory scrutiny, for example. You know, what are the reputational risks if you suspend someone in those circumstances, particularly where a suspension lasts beyond a few days or a week or so? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, it may be that you have to make third party referrals to the regulatory body. So, for example, if I was to be suspended tomorrow, um, then ultimately the Herbie Mitchell might need to make a, a, a referral to the Solicitors Regulation Authority. And the problem is sometimes with these things as well, Joyce, that there may, may need to be a referral to things like um, care association bodies, or it might be uh, LADO in the case of uh, teachers and mm. um you know, and or the police, quite frankly. So sometimes the police, uh, a, a really good example, they might say to the employer, well, look, ultimately, we want you to cease your investigation while we do our criminal investigation. And, you know, in those circumstances, the employer is left in a really difficult situation because the police investigation can take forever. Um, and whilst there's no legal obligation to stop that, then ultimately, from a criminal point of view, the, the idea, idea behind that is the police don't want to, to do anything that what don't want an employer to do anything that might sort of jeopardize their investigation so there's quite a lot to think about really but i go back mm. to this point before i make about the example i gave about my clients this no smoke without fire if if that individual has been off for nine months and he's ultimately cleared that individual's then got a decision as to whether or not they can go back and i think in those circumstances the constructive dismissal argument becomes much stronger from a fundamental breach point of view because Ultimately, what is that school going to do to smooth the wheels over for that individual to be able to come back? And if they can't do anything such that the individual is just, you know, there's no way they can actually return. And I think those are the circumstances where you might tip over into a successful fundamental mm. breach argument and a constructive dismissal claim. Yeah, I get that. And I suppose to use the analogy that we used earlier about the, you know, um, somebody in a supermarket, whilst it's very easy to see somebody on a till being able to do other work you could hardly expect a senior manager or for example the ceo of tesco's to go onto the top you know onto the shop floor and start stacking shelves as an alternative to dismissing them it just won't wash will it yeah and it's you know it's the same when you're line managing a group of people if you take the line management responsibilities off them for a period of time you know can they realistically go back to be to line managing those people even though they're exonerated of the conduct so there's a number of different examples you can see. So I think some careful thought needs to go into quite a lot of this stuff, really. Well, thank you for that. That was really interesting um, to get your thoughts on that. Um, and I think that brings us to a close. So that's it for today. If you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside expert commentary, tune in for a fortnight. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>